If you would turn in your scriptures to 2 Peter chapter 2. 2 Peter chapter 2 for our scripture reading this morning. Many straight spines there uh, as we were worshiping and singing and as we studied in Sunday school this morning. 2 Peter chapter 2. Beginning at verse 1. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to the chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly, if by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. And if he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, for as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment, and especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority. Bold and willful, they do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones, whereas angels, though greater in might and power, do not pronounce a blasphemous judgment against them before the Lord. But these, like irrational animals, creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed, blaspheming about matters of which they are ignorant, will also be destroyed in their destruction, suffering wrong as the wage for their wrongdoing. They count it pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are blots and blemishes, reveling in their deceptions while they feast with you. They have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. They entice unsteady souls. They have hearts trained in greed, accursed children. Forsaking the right way, they have gone astray. They have followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved gain from wrongdoing, but was rebuked for his own transgression, a speechless 
donkey spoke with human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. These are waterless springs and mists driven by a storm. For them, the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. For speaking loud boasts of folly, they enticed by sensual passions of the flesh those who are barely escaping from those who live in air. They promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, the last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would have been better for them to have never known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. What the true proverb says has happened to them. The dog returns to its own vomit and the sow, after washing herself, returns to wallow in the mire. Let's pray together. Father, as we come to this text, we ask that you open it to us and the power of your spirit cause us to be reflective, to be thoughtful, to be careful and cautioned by your word. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we've all been to the zoo, we know dangerous beasts are kept secure behind moats and fences and plexiglass. They are dangerous. And this morning we continue our series on dangerous beasts of the New Testament. Now, people have long had pet dogs. And recently, you see some people keep pet pigs as well. Can you imagine? It's been said that when your pet dog dies, the grieving process is painful. When your pet pig dies, the grieving process is delicious, they say. (laughs) I didn't say that. Someone said that. I mean, we love our dogs, don't we? Our culture today calls them man's best friend. How many of you have dogs here this morning? How many of you own dogs? Quite a lot of you. We won't ask about cats because cats own their masters, right? We love dogs, we love bacon, so hey. Now in the Jewish mind, dogs and pigs were the most disgusting, vile creatures that you could possibly name. Think of it in regards to dogs. Part of the judgment of Jezebel, who was that awful queen, that awful, wicked, evil queen, was that she would be eaten by the dogs. The prophet pronounced that, and so it was. They were only able to find a bone or two after the dogs had eaten her. Dogs are used as... uh, a metaphor for evil in the Old Testament. 
in the Messianic Psalm. For dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. So evildoers is considered to be like dogs, a pack of dogs. The Jewish prophets and priests who were so failing in their charge and in their ministry were compared to dogs. Isaiah says this, his watchmen are blind. They are all without knowledge. They are silent dogs. They cannot bark. They're dreaming, lying down, loving to slumber. The dogs have a mighty appetite and they never have enough. But they are shepherds who have no understanding, he says, and they have all turned to their own way, each to his own gain. Remember the rich man and Lazarus in the New Testament, uh, the poor man named Lazarus, he was covered with sores. And we read there that he desired the scraps from his master's table and moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. That is not, that's not in sympathy to him. Those dogs are, in a sense, having the starter course before the main meal, in a sense. They're licking his sores. He's, about, he, he, he's near death, and they are planning on consuming him because that's what the dogs would do. And so they were considered vile and unclean. And they would be uh, traveling in packs in the back alleys looking for any, anything they could scavenge, any rotting piece of meat that they could possibly uh, take in. And of course, pigs to, to the Jewish person was an unclean thing. God said to Israel, and the pig, because it parts the hoof and does not chew the cud, is unclean to you. Their flesh you shall not eat, and their carcasses you shall not touch. You just don't eat pigs. The prodigal, to, to help us understand how low that man went when he left his father's home and how he fell into a sin and, and, and dissipated his life. And he eventually, we're told, went into the fields to feed pigs. That's to tell us how low he went and that he longed to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. He, he longed for pigs' food. And so the, the Jewish mind would just be, this is abhorrent how far he has fallen. And then Jesus actually brings that together, both the dogs and the pigs. He says this, do not give dogs what is holy. That is, you don't give them what's good because they don't value it. They don't, under, they don't know it. And he says, don't throw your pearls before pigs. They'll just trample them on their foot and attack you. They have no sense of being able to value what is precious, what is meaningful ultimately the truth of God. He says, dogs and pigs, they, it's not their nature to know such things. And so we find in verse 22 here in our text of 2 Peter chapter 2, what the true proverb says has happened to them. The dog 
returns to its own vomit. And the sow, after washing herself, returns to wallow in the mire. Now, the same point is being made in both of these um, descriptive ways. That is that by their nature, they can't help themselves. They will follow their nature. The vile dog will make a mess and he will consume again what he has eaten before. And the unclean pig, though cleaned, will look at the mud and the mire and he's going to delight in it and he will return to it. So the dog and the pig will always return to what they know. They will default to that. They will default to it because it's their very nature. It's their primal, brute nature. Now, in our text, this dog and this pig that returns to their nature are meant to describe a type of person. You see, in verse 22, what the true proverb says has happened to them. Them. So the question is then, who is them? Who are these dogs and these pigs, these vile creatures who can't help themselves are going to return, even though cleaned on the outside for a period of time, they're going to return to their sinful ways and their sinful passions. Who are them? Well, he tells us in verse 1, doesn't he? Look there. He says, false prophets also arose among the people. He's talking about the Old Testament there. And then he says, just as there will be false teachers among you. Oh, okay. So them are the false teachers, he says, who are coming and going to use Christianity for their own purposes and their own gain. Peter doesn't dignify them with the name prophet. He says they're false teachers. He's saying there's nothing new. Just as there were true in the Old Testament era, it's going to be true in the New Testament era as well. False teachers will come, and they will secretly bring in destructive heresies. Now, these false teachers, uh, much debated. I would take the point of view that these are not Christians, but they are using Christianity as a veneer. They know what to say, and they know some of the things to do to, to have those who are gullible follow after them. But they are not Christians. In the New Testament, Christians are compared to sheep, not to dogs and pigs. As well, Second Peter is very much uh, the same as the book of Jude. And Jude makes very clear that they, these, these false teachers are sensual, having not the Spirit. And we know if they don't have the Spirit, Paul says in Romans, then they are not gods. They are not God's children. 
If they're living by the desires of their flesh, their primal brute default is to the flesh, is to what we call the old man, to the old ways. That's their default because that nature has never been changed. Verse 12, but these like irrational animals, creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed, blaspheming. So he says they're, they're instinctual animals. They, this is their primal default, is to the flesh and to sin. And Peter has already made clear, as he did in First Peter, that those who are gods are kept by the power of God unto salvation. Kept by God. So, what he does in this chapter is he covers the three main areas that false prophets in the Old Testament, um, what, what they manifested there to identify them as false prophets. And he brings that into the present understanding of his readers, that they can expect these exact same sort of behavioral traits. The first is that they false prophets, false teachers, will never uh, have divine authority. They actually despise authority, the authority of God. They don't have divine sanction. They are not credible towards God. God didn't send them. God didn't give his word to them. Not all prophets are from God. Look at verse 1 again. He says, they will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, denying the person of Jesus Christ and the redemption that we have in his name, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality. And because of them, the way of truth, that's the way of Christianity, will be blasphemed, will be declared, uh, and the the word here is heresis, where we get the word heresy. They bring in false teaching, false words. In their greed, they will exploit you with false words. They despise authority. He says that they speak against the spiritual world, he tells us in this chapter. They speak against, probably he's thinking of uh, fallen angels. They speak as though they have authority even to denounce angels and fallen angels and demons, and yet angels themselves don't speak that way. So they give off this veneer of authority, of speaking for God, yet they do not speak for him. They are not authorized by him. They don't have any humility or credibility. They hunger for celebrity. He says in verse 17, uh, three ways they are described. He says they are waterless springs. That is, wells that don't have water. That's not good for anyone. They are mist driven by a storm. You've seen the fog. You've seen it come in the storm and blown away by the storm. Nothing is left. 
and the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved for them, the mist of darkness. The second thing that he identifies is that they preached peace and security when judgment was actually coming. They were always saying, you know, positive things. You know, God doesn't see, God uh, doesn't hear what, what they were doing and what you're doing, and, and he's not going to do anything about it. They would always be saying, peace, security, everything is well with you. Everything is well. Listen to what Jeremiah, God says, thus says the Lord of hosts, do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesied to you, filling you with vain hopes. They speak visions of their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. They say continually to those who despise the word of the Lord, it shall be well with you. And to everyone who stubbornly follows in his own heart, they say, no disaster will come upon you. For who among them has stood in the counsel of the Lord, God says, to see and hear his word? Or who has paid attention to his word and listened? Behold, the storm of the Lord. Wrath has gone forth, a whirling tempest. It will burst upon the head of the wicked. It's, it's, they're, 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 they're always telling people it's going to be okay. that it's going to be well with you. And he speaks about God's judgment and God's destruction is sure. He uses, in verse 4 and following, he uses three uh, narratives from the Old Testament in regards to the angels and then the flood with Noah and Sodom and Gomorrah to really underline that God's judgment is sure. If he, if he judged them, he's going to judge these sort as well, who are saying that the judgment of God will never come, that God is so pleased with, 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 with the country. God is so pleased with, with people. They can just go about their business. And he says, judgment, judgment is coming. And they'll promise and appeal to the flesh. Look at verse 9. The Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials, to keep the unrighteous under punishment to the day of judgment. And especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority. That's God's authority. And they give themselves to passions and pleasures. And that's the third indicator. The first is God didn't send them. The second is God didn't give them the message of peace and security. And the third is their defiling behavior, their immorality. He, he talks about in verse 2, he says their sensuality. Many will follow their sensuality. And he talks about their greed in verse 3. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. They'll be asking you for money, for resources. 
verse 13. Suffering wrong is the wage for their wrongdoing. They count it pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are blots and blemishes, reveling in their deceptions while they feast with you. And verse 14, they have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. They entice unsteady souls. They have hearts trained in greed. Wow. Adultery, insatiable for sin, greed. They want to gain. They want to use Christ in order to feather their nest. Their motivation is their flesh. Their motivation is, is their sinfulness. And their motivation is greed, is money. In verse 18, he says, For speaking loud boasts of folly, they entice by sensual passions of flesh those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. They're enticing people. They're tickling the ears of people. People who want to hear everything's okay, who want to be told their sin doesn't matter, it's not serious. And they're enticing. You know, the book of Micah says this about God's leaders in the Old Testament. Its heads give judgment for a bribe. Its priests teach for a price. Its prophets practice divination for money. Yet they lean on the Lord and say, Is not the Lord in the midst of us? No disaster shall come upon us. Everything's God approved, they say. You know, there are more dogs and pigs these days than in Bible days, in the New Testament days. It's easy today to have a platform to gather a following. It's easy to do that from a mega church to a house church, online church to satellite church. Anyone can do it, and so just about everyone is doing it, it would seem and so many who shouldn't be because they are not called by God and they are not motivated for the right reasons and they are not pursuing holiness in their lives. They're not actually Christian, you see, but they are using Christianity for their own purposes. And we are being called as his people to take care who we allow to teach us. And all sorts of people want to teach you, want to reach your ears. And you're responsible to take care about that. Because there are those who are piggybacking on Christ. 
and their opinions are destructive. Their activity is self-destructive and God's destruction awaits them. And ultimately, they are exalting themselves and not Jesus Christ. And making money is their chief end. And profit, not profit. And their hidden life, their hidden life is full of lust and excess and sensual things. And they can be so destructive to the, to the true sheep of God who, who may be weak, who may see something appealing It's almost impossible these days to keep up with the outrageous examples of scandals that's going on in evangelical leadership in the West. From strange teachings, to plagiarism, to gambling, and pornography, adulteries, abuse, million-dollar contracts, planes and Rolexes and running shoes that cost more than your income in any given year, and no mention of sin and of repentance and of judgment. Instead, it will all be well with you, they say. They're using non-disclosure agreements, NDAs, to keep a lid on some of the excesses, legal, legal writs to hide what they're doing as they create a brand for themselves and multiple income streams, using the church as a platform to further their own personal agenda and ministry rather than for the glory of Jesus Christ and the church that he loves. And they claim to speak for God. They claim to lead us to God. They claim our ears and they claim to teach us but we are to take care and we are warned here and we are warned in the book of Jude and we are warned in the book of uh, Acts and we are warned by Jesus Christ himself. Over and over we are cautioned to know this, that there will be many dogs and pigs, vile creatures who use Christianity for their own purposes. And their destruction is sure. And Jesus said, many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. False Christ and false prophets will arise. And what the text is telling us here with the dog and the sow, the pig, is that their true colors come out eventually because they can't help it. Their old man, their old nature, their sinful 
nature will come out because it hasn't been changed. And they will default back to it secretly for a while, but then they will leave a great mess behind. Their fruit will become evident one day. And so we're called not to waste our days with them, not to be seduced by them. They will always return to what they know. They will always do that. They will return to what they are by nature. The brute animal nature of sinful ways. They are like irrational animals, verse 12 says. Creatures of instinct born to be caught and destroyed. They will return to the vomit. They will return to the muck and mar because they haven't been cleaned inside. They're just dressing the outside up, but they haven't truly been cleansed inside. And like dogs and pigs, they will make their messes. And they have to be, when we can, we have to recognize them and put them out because they would cause such a mess. And you can, churches can constantly be dealing with these messes and the odor of their behavior. So it's a warning to us this morning, a warning to take it very seriously in these days in which we live, in these last days in which we live. Warren Wiersbe says, it's not a profession of spirituality that marks a true believer not the profession, it's the possession of the Holy Spirit that marks a true believer. It's not a profession of faith. It's not a decision for Christ. It's not even a baptism. It doesn't mean the person is a shepherd or a sheep. They can have a fine-sounding voice, an accent. Who doesn't like an accent? They can be great storytellers, great jokesters, but it doesn't mean they're authorized by God. It doesn't mean they're properly motivated. And it doesn't mean they truly are pursuing a life of holiness. Preachers and teachers, leaders and elders called by him recognize his authority and the boundaries of doctrine that he has put up and are credible because they recognize that. And they have the right motivation. It's not their prestige. It's not their personal power. It's not money. It's all for the glory of Jesus Christ. And they are truly desiring to live and walk in the Spirit. Though failure happens, and yet they, their desire is to be holy. They're not parasites or degrading and excusing and making light of sin. So you want to look for that in the ones that, that you allow to teach you, that they are called, rightly motivated, and holy because you can wash a dog and a pig 
But the animal doesn't change its basic animal brute nature, its primal nature. And if you yourself find that you're going back continually to what you left in your old life, if you're going back to your ways and your ways of thinking and back to old sins that you perhaps have thought you had left behind, if you're defaulting to what you cast off, if you're wallowing in that muck and that mire once again, you need to repent. Repent before God and be cleaned on the inside. Let him give you a new heart, a new nature, so that you can then walk in his spirit. He's wants to lift you out of the muck and mire and put you high upon a rock. You need to repent and receive his wonderful forgiveness because he died for us on the cross that we might be forgiven. His blood was shed on our behalf to cover our sins and to wash them away, to make us clean and to give us a, that new nature you need to be cleaned on the inside by the blood of Christ. If you're defaulting to your old ways, your old nature. So that when you find yourself unsteady, as those who are listening to these false teachers did, or you find yourself barely escaping from those who, who live in error, or you find yourself far from him, from God, that you go back home to God. That's your default now in Christ Jesus. Back to God. It's always back to the Father, back to the shepherd of our souls, back to our new nature. Listen to what Peter says in verse four of chapter one, he says, we will grant to us his precious and great promises, so through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. He's talking about being a new creature in Christ, that divine nature, partaking. You partaking of that. Our new default is to go back to him. And we always turn to him because we've escaped the corruption that's in the world because of sinful desire. And so Peter says, you were straying like sheep, but now have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. You've returned, he says, not to the way you used to live, but to Jesus. And that's the indicator, a sign that you're a Christian. See, so I'll come back to Jesus down to what you left behind, the old man. Some of you need to come back to Jesus in your sinfulness and your far from him. You need to get, remember your priorities and remember that there's a God there who calls you and waits for you and will forgive you 
if you come and repent. Listen to what Colossians says. You have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Renewed in knowledge. That is, we need to immerse ourselves in the knowledge of Christ in these days. Immerse yourself in the knowledge of Christ to prepare for what's coming. Not, not immersing yourself in politics or immersing yourself in fear, or immersing yourself in false teachers. and Immerse yourself in Christ and you'll be ready for whatever he calls you to in this life and in death and resurrection. Immerse yourself in Christ because he's worthy. The team is going to come now and, and sing for us and remind us that Jesus alone is worthy in this broken world and that we continually find our way back to Jesus because he is our new default. He is our teacher. He is our Lord. We go back to the Father's house. We back to holiness. Back to Jesus. He is worthy. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, uh, your Son, Jesus, holds forever those that he loves. And we declare that we love him. Some here, Father, are expressing their repentance to you, expressing their sorrow that they have wandered away. Receive them back through the means of your, the sacrifice of your son. As we confess our sins, you are faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Some here, perhaps, Father, have a veneer of Christianity, but have never truly been saved, have never truly had their inside, their heart and mind washed by the blood of Jesus. We pray you would grant them, perhaps you this morning, repentance, sorrow over your sins, how serious your sin is before a holy God who is great and wondrous and how he gave his son to die for you that you might be forgiven and saved and one day resurrected and one day with him forever put your faith in Jesus and turn from this world and what it offers Turn from the false teachers that would have our ears and has your ear perhaps and follow the shepherd, Jesus Christ. Father, your son is worthy. We declare that with all 
praise and honor, all blessing that he is worthy. And we look forward to the day when we dwell in, in, with, our, with our Savior forever and ever. Prepare us for the years ahead. Prepare us for what's going on in our country, in our Western world, around our world. Prepare us to stand for Christ Jesus. He is worthy. And we pray in his name. Amen.